You're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. From the salty studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Can the stories about your grandparents achieving success by applying Epsom salts to almost every plant in their garden be true? And what exactly are these mysterious salts? On today's show, we'll discuss how to properly use the salts of Epsom and reveal how it was discovered by cows with good taste. Otherwise, it's a phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and resolutely referenced ramifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believer, because it's all coming up faster than you making your roses look dishwasher fresh right after this. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters. Hot Bin Composters are designed to reduce waste, heat up to 140 degrees Fahrenheit, create compost within 30 to 90 days, and minimize odors. More information at hotbincomposting-us.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up in the question of the week, I bet even people who don't like the show will stay tuned because we're actually going to tell you what Epsom salts is, what it's good for, what it's bad for, and all sorts of fun stuff. So you better hang in there until after all your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Shannon, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Hi, Shannon. How are you? I'm good. Where is Shannon good? I'm in Delaware. Okay. Uh, I know that is the small state, so to speak, but uh, anywhere special or you just roam up and down the coastline? No, just up north in Wilmington. Up north in Wilmington. All right. What can we do? No beaches near me. Oh, but, but you know, the Delaware beaches are this great unused treasure. Matter of fact, uh, the beachfront owners uh, in Delaware are probably going to yell at me eventually for uh, telling people about (laughs) it. But they are just so close to Philly, and, you know, they're real beaches. They're not touristy Mm -hmm. places. They're places you go in the water and have fun. And unfortunately, you're in Wilmington. So (laughs) what can we do for Shannon in Wilmington? So I have some hydrangeas, and they're just not... They're not doing it, right? Their color is just not there. The leaves are fine. The size is fine. Everything about them seems healthy and fine, and they are growing flowers. Right. But the flowers themselves are just so pale and sickly looking. Hmm. And I can't find anything on Google about the intensity of color, right? Like, there's all the stuff about making them pink or making them blue. Right, yeah. And I'm not really bothered about that. There's nothing that I, I've been able to Google that tells me how to make them more intense huh. than what they are. That's a very interesting question. Now, what color are they, or are they a mix of red and blue? So the one was supposed to be blue, mm-hmm. and its flowers, when they first bloomed, were like the palest shade of pink, mm-hmm. and now they've just faded to like a creamy yellow which I guess they're like, they're probably sun scorched. It's been really hot here. Okay. Um, well, and the other one. You, uh, you anticipate me. As I'm thinking here, um, the only thing that I know of that can cause a, um, a flower like that to kind of fade away is direct sunlight and too much of it. I think, I believe in the wild hydrangeas are understory plants. We know they're very water sensitive because as soon as there's one sunny day, those things are trying to take a nap. They, <laughs> they're real drama queens about that. But it, is, is that the case? Are they getting a tremendous amount of sun? Um, so one of them I would say probably is, but funnily enough, that one has the better color, but still not great. Hmm. Um, the other one, I would say partial sun. And um, all my neighbors, like a variety of sun and whatnot, mm-hmm. all their hydrangeas look fabulous, right? Right. 
So they have them like some are full sun, some aren't, et cetera. And they all look great. Real nice, deep color. A lot of them have purple ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a trick you can do if you acidify the soil on one side of the plant and put alkaline material like wood ash down on the other side of the plant, you can get this fabulous range of colors. At least some of us can. <clears throat> so, yeah. yeah. Maybe I can get like a pale lavender. Let's, but... uh, yeah, uh, but you, you're tired of these people walking by and going, oh, I guess she still isn't growing them correctly. So. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Oh, no, well, gardening is a competitive sport, and you're close enough to Philly that it's uh, almost a blood sport still. So, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, are they planted in... Uh, flat earth, raised beds, containers? Uh, flat. And um, are they mulched? Um, the yard when I originally got the house had mulch, but I did my best to remove it before I planted the mm -hmm. first hydrangea. Right. Um, and then the second hydrangea is actually, I had a patch of yard turned into a garden. Right. So I don't think that has ever had mulch. Okay. So you're not mulching. Are you feeding at all? Um, so the one that I've had longer, I did was, was feeding it last year. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, maybe I'm overfeeding it. Mm -hmm. um, so this year, all I've done is put some coffee ground on both of them. Okay. Um, I don't like using coffee ground straight in the garden, um, especially on um, plants that are very... Um, easily affected by changes in the soil pH. Um, it's also, uh, coffee grounds are very nitrogen rich, so they can affect the uh, flowering of plants. Um, do you have a compost pile? Do you shred leaves in the fall, anything like that? No, um, our, our lot doesn't have any trees on it. Uh, the only stuff we have is stuff that we've added. Right. So we don't have much uh, leaves coming down. And you use... We, we've only had the house like two years. Oh, okay. And you've used the coffee grounds because that's what you got, right? That's the gardener's great answer. And because Google told me to. <laughs> I don't think Google told you to. I think some, uh, like, Yahoo... <laughs> Someone um, on Google. <laughs> you know, <laughs> answering your question. I have seen some, like, really serious stuff there in terms of bad yeah. advice. So I don't... And, the other thing is they, when they originally bloomed, like they did have a touch of color, but they did start out very, very pale. Okay. Um, the one in the front in the garden that I made, mm -hmm. one of them still has color of its flowers. Yeah. And that is the one getting the more direct sun. Uh, but it's, again, really, really pale. Where'd you get the plants? I, 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 I did get them at Home Depot, but in ah. my defense, in my defense, you were there buying batteries. I had a gift card. Oh, okay. You know, buy when trials. you buy a house, everyone gives you gift cards. Yeah, well, that's all for the better. To Home Depot. Um, yeah, it. Uh, they may not have been the healthiest plant. Were they bare root? Were they in pots? Um, so one of them was bare root. It was literally just a stick yeah. with some roots on it. And I was like, that's so sad. I want to try and save them, right? Right. Um, I yeah. actually bought two mm -hmm. of the same, like, bare root. One mm -hmm. that was supposed to be pink and had some leaves. Yeah. And then the sad stick one. Yeah. The one with the leaves died. And it didn't even make it through the summer. Um, and then the other one, it, it's actually, like, leave-wise, I would say it's doing really good. Yeah. Right? Like how much it's grown. Like it's a, it's a bush now. And it was literally a stick last year. Are you doing... So like I don't think I have bad soil. All my other plants are fine. Are you doing any pruning? No. Okay. Um, I've only had the one a year. Mm -hmm. And then the other one less than a year. Um, the other one was bigger when I got it. It was about the size that the one I originally had is now. Right. Um, I, well, I... I don't know the size. It's like the general size they sell. Um... I'm going to suggest uh, you go to your local independent garden center and nursery and beg forgiveness for um, shopping at Home Depot for plants and get a couple of bags of a really premium compost. Um, you know, I always resort to Coast of Maine 
Um, they sometimes uh, help underwrite the show, but their products are great and they're available in many different places. I especially like their uh, compost that's made with lobster waste. Um, there are elements Ooh. in, yeah, seafood shells called uh, chitin that are amazing. My dog will love that. Your what? Your dog? My dog. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, is your dog peeing <laughs> on the plants? Um, he does not pee on the one. He doesn't have access to it. The right. other one is within the fence. I haven't seen him pee on it. I discourage him from going to that area, but that could who knows do what it. he does when he's out there. That could do it. I mean, nitrogen is well-known. Uh, dog uh, urine is well-known for browning plants and discoloring them. Um, but he doesn't pee on the other one at all. He, okay. Well, what I'm going to suggest is you keep them well watered, uh, especially during okay. dry times, and you yep. buy a bag or two of premium compost and mulch around them with that. And if you get good results, you know, put a uh, put a bag down every season. Okay. Um, so stop with the coffee grounds, switch over to a premium compost, keep them well watered during heat waves, and let's see what they look like the third year. All right. Great. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. Can we have somebody call in that I know the answer to their question? Can we? Just once? <laughs> All right. You take care. Thanks. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. down there and she'd go out in the evenings and pick her a mess of it cat home and cook it for supper and if she had any leftovers she'd dry it out and smoke it but she did all right time for me to take a little break. We'll be right back to soak you in Epsom salts and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your silly, silly host, Mike McGrath. But later in the show, I will get serious with you about Epsom salts. So you won't want to miss it. You've heard all the rumors. Now, here's the rumors behind the news. After more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Molly, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. How's it going? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking, Molly. That's, uh, ducky is very happy to uh, be with us once again. He had to renegotiate his contract with me. He's a tough bargainer, but I got extra eggs out of him, so that's all I care. Oh, good. Where is Molly? I am in Louisville, Nebraska, just south of Omaha, Nebraska. Okay, very good. The Great Plains. What can we do for you? Yes. Well, my mom has poison sumac on a hill mm. next to her beloved pond, and that's the only reason why it has not been chemically treated. She is a, uh, a roundup and prune type of gal. Oh, well, I'm sorry about that. Yes. Um, first of all, yeah. uh, herbicides... Uh, don't work on poison ivy, oak, or uh, sumac um, because they 
they make the plant brown and dead, but it still possesses the uh, allergenic oil. And to make things worse, sumac is the most damaging of the three, quote, poisonous plants that contain this resin um, due to some other naturally occurring chemicals that actually intensify uh, the reaction. So it is the one that requires the most caution. And of course, you probably know you shouldn't use herbicides anywhere near a pond because you'll kill all the wildlife. Right. You'll kill the amphibians and fishies and things like that. Yeah, she, she understands that. So I, she uses it everywhere else. She knows it's going to damage water life. So she is Polish and angry at this sumac. She wants to get back at it. And she's very attracted to solarization because it seems to be the meanest revenge back at it. Because you were right. It is wicked. Well, for people in other parts of the country who predominate with oak or ivy, um, poison sumac is very difficult to recognize. It doesn't have the classic leaves that are three. It tends to have, I think, five to seven leaves on each yeah. individual branch or whatever you call those things. And um, there is actually a, a good sumac, so to speak, a non-poisonous right. sumac that was one of Frank Lloyd Wright's favorite flowers, um, or plants, shall we say. It's in all his designs. So uh, you mentioned soil solarization. Uh, how big an area are we working with? It's 50 by 30, but she's very angry. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, you say it's on a hill or on a slope? Right. And is there a distinct edge t between it and the water? It, it butt up right against the pond. So if you flowed water mm -hmm. down that hill, it goes right into that pond on majority of the hill. I wonder if that makes the the water allergenic. Sometimes she doesn't know how she gets it on her. She doesn't think she's gone near it, but she has gone near a pond. Oh, yeah. No, the water might be enough. And, um, okay. you know, anybody who's going to pull or deal with any of these plants, um, you have to remember not to touch anything. You have to have your hands protected inside what I use are old plastic bags, and you don't touch anything if you're going against it. Um, you get other people to open car doors and house doors and turn on the shower for you. You know, or you can pick it up off surfaces for years afterwards. So, uh, you know, the, the, um, for soil solarization to work, you really have to mow uh, the area down flat. That, that doesn't seem feasible to me here. You know, in our area, uh, <laughs> there's a guy, um, Umar Mayak, who had been a horticulturalist for the Philadelphia Zoo for many years and opened up his own business. I, I, God, I don't know how long I've known Umar, probably 10 years ago, and he eradicates poison ivy in the greater Philadelphia area. And what he and his men do, and he's got a whole crew, is they have uh, hazmat suits, and they have these special gloves. Um, his website is I don't want poison ivy. Um, but he deals with all three of the resinous plants, and he can, in addition to a hazmat suit that you can buy any place, he can equip you with the right kind of gloves and instructions on how to get them on and off without, um, you know, doing any harm to yourself. When does it bloom, and when is it going to be seeding itself? I would just worry, by the time it's nice weather, it's already laying its track for next year. Yeah, but see, they're not going to be laid where you are. Birds are immune um, to the toxic uh, stuff they make lacquer with. Um, and so they eat oh. the berries, and then they fly someplace else and give the problem to someone else. So, you know, controlling okay. the berries, it really doesn't do any good. It saves your neighbors, not you. So what I'm going to suggest is you visit Umar's site, I don't want poisonivy.com. He's a great guy, you can correspond with him, but he goes through the whole 
setup and staging of how to do this safely. And what you would do is you would run hoses at the top and you'd really saturate this ground. And then over the course of a day or two, you would pull it out slowly at the base. And once you have the area clear, I think solarization would be a good idea to prevent the roots from coming back. So once you've got all the plant material out of there, bagged and put out with the trash or taken down to the dump with clear warnings um, of what's inside, then lay down, uh, resaturate the soil, lay down one to two mil thick plastic sheeting clear and brick the edges, you know, to make sure it stays nice and tight. And I think that would get rid of it and prevent it from coming back. That will satisfy her need for revenge, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, she can, uh, uh, she belonged to any social clubs, play bingo, get some other Polish ladies in there and really, really tear it down. Oh, yeah. All right. Old and angry. Oh, I like it. I think we got uh, the beginnings well, of a movie here. All right. All right, we got to go. Thank you. Good luck to you. And say hi to your Thank mom. Bye-bye. You. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Jim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I'm on the West Coast, Southern California, uh, Orange County to be specific. So uh, a little slice of heaven here. All right. So you're in Orange County. And uh, what can we do you for? This year, uh, we don't have a lot of space for uh, uh, tomato plants. Uh, and we tried them last year, and it was we were constantly watering them. Mm -hmm. uh, so we bought some uh, self-watering uh, pots, two of them. Uh, and from the description, they sounded pretty cool. They have... Like uh, uh, you're probably familiar with them, uh, probably a three-inch reservoir at the bottom of the pot, and then there's a graded plate that sits atop that. And the whole idea is the roots go down and they get the water from the reservoir, and you just fill up the reservoir uh, every three or four days uh, mm -hmm. with two. And it seemed to work for the uh, you know the first month or so, and then the tomatoes. Or the, the plants started turning a really dark green. They stopped flowering, and that's when I sent you an email. Now, um, what you call a water reservoir, we call a mosquito breeding site. It's interesting because we never had mosquitoes out here until a few years ago, and, and now as the weather changes, uh, uh, they just become rampant. Well, mosquitoes are creatures of water. They are always looking for stagnant water. And you bought a sophisticated planter that provides stagnant water. <laughs> so let that be your warning. When I've been given these things, um, I just rip the bottoms off and use them as a regular container. That's the way of the world. You also don't want to keep the roots of your plants constantly in water. Um, they get rot. So how are these containers the normal size? They're like a little window box. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're hard plastic. And I believe they're like, I would say 14 or 15 square and maybe 13, 14 inches deep. So they're square. Yes. 
and you say 13 to 14 all around, right, top to bottom. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably 13 by 13, and then maybe a little deeper, maybe 15 deep. Okay, these could be used. Um, how many tomato plants do you have in each one? Just one. Uh, it, it's flowering, and there's a ton of tomatoes on them now. Uh, there, there's no issues at all, and I, I haven't thought about the root rot. Of course, they don't talk about that. No, or the mosquitoes. Um, no, no, which is a huge thing. So what's going on now? Why do you need me? Are you just bragging, uh, telling me something worked for a change? No, I just you know, was asked to come on the uh, on the show, and I was happy to do it in, uh, with a good outcome, actually. So that's well, it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate your calling in and letting other people know not to fall for gimmicks. Container gardening is perfectly acceptable. There's a lot of reasons that people are going to benefit by it. But as soon as it's get kind of quirky and you wonder if these people have been on Shark Tank or screaming at you from a booth at a home show, you know, go to your local garden center and get a real container. <laughs> Words to live by. All right, man. Good luck to you, and thanks for calling. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Adam, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Calling from Western North Carolina. <laughs> what can we do for Adam? <laughs> All right. So last fall, uh, we purchased two pear trees um, from a local nursery and mm. planted them out back late October last year. That's a good time. And they seem to have survived the winter fine and at least out this spring. Mm-hmm. And then as spring went on into summer, I realized the leaves were kind of curling up. Um, not much new growth was happening after that initial leafing. And one of the trees even started to maybe begin to drop its leaves. Mm -hmm. um, we have a vole issue <laughs> on the property because we have an outdoor cat that catches probably three voles a week. So we, we finally decided to cut our losses and transplant them to a different location in the yard um, about three weeks ago now because we suspected vole damage to the roots now wait a minute three weeks um, now we're in the middle of summer i know yeah i i just thought they were they weren't going to survive if i left them in place so i decided to take my chances you decided to kill them personally rather than let some other animal do <laughs> it uh let's drop back did you plant them personally i did okay when you got them were they bare roots were they wrapped in burlap at the bottom, or were they in a pot? They were in a black plastic pot. Okay. So you simply took them out of the pot and planted them at the same height as they were. Correct. I did feed it some, um, I think, garden tone and watered it in okay. for the first couple of weeks and then good. mulched it with some, um, some shredded leaves. Okay. That all sounds good. Um, now, you dug it up, um, I guess, recently, right? That's right, uh, about two to three weeks ago now. Okay. You were thinking that maybe um, you would find a vole-free spot in your garden? Right. So it's a, we live on a pretty big property, mm -hmm. uh, about 30 acres, and so I moved it to the sort of opposite side of the property, right? Okay. I haven't seen evidence of voles, and I haven't seen the cat hunting voles in that area. Okay. So those roots aren't going to spread until you dig them up and um, spread them out more naturally. And I would do that again in October if you manage to keep these things alive. Are you watering them fiercely during this, uh, during this summertime? I, I have, and we've, uh, we've actually been lucky with rain. So Good. It's, it's been pretty frequent. Okay, and so when I transplanted them, I, I lost a lot of dirt. Um, so I kind of did what you were talking about when I transplanted them and spread the roots out because not much, not much dirt came with them. The one that was doing worse leafed out again, mm -hmm. and the one that was doing better is showing signs of thinking about leafing out, but it hasn't yet. <laughs> but I don't think it did. So the tree that has not yet leafed out, did it <laughs> leaf out the first year? It did. Yeah. All that I can think of right now is, you know, these things are not chess pieces. You're not meant to constantly be moving them around the garden. I would give them 
make sure they get an inch of water a week, um, keep that mulch of shredded leaves, and make sure it doesn't touch the tree. But leave it alone now, okay? No, <laughs> no more. You, you're going to have the first nomadic pear trees in the history of horticulture. All right? 10-4. All right. Sounds good. So take care. It's your game to lose. They're not going to leaf out at this time of the year. It may take them a season or two to get unscrewy about all this moving. Um, but just relax <laughs> and do the most important thing a gardener can do, which is nothing. Okay? Just leave it be, let the plant figure out what it needs, and let it try to achieve that. 10-4. 10-4, Eleanor. All right. I'll talk to you <laughs> later, man. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Mike. Well, it's time for me to take a little break. We'll be right back with tales of salty magnesium and more of your salty phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. And we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will reveal what we do know about Epsom salts, that mysterious garden amendment that so many people swear by. But before we start swearing, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. At 888-492-9444, Sarah. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Sarah. How you doing? Super. How are you? I'm just ducky. Matter of fact, I'll say <laughs> super ducky, which was an obscure <laughs> Marvel comic in the 50s. Super duck, the cockeyed wonder. I hope I am the only human left on the planet who knows that. All right. Where is Sarah <laughs> Wonderful? Colorado Springs, Colorado. Oh, well, sure, except for the fact that um, you, you've had uh, nastiness there lately, right? Well, around the area, but we've had worse years. So, so far, so good. Yeah, I took a hot air balloon ride out of uh, Colorado Springs. God, the mountains are just so beautiful. Yeah, hot air balloons are everywhere around here. Oh, I know. I know. They had uh, red lights up in the sky. All right. So, <laughs> Sarah, what can we do for you? Well, I need to know whether to prune or not to prune. I have a baby locust tree mm -hmm. that sprung up from the roots of a large locust tree that we cut down a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. We're rather bushy. Um but it's near the bird feeders, and my yard is full of beneficial perennials. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to prune it for ornamental reasons. My main concern is to benefit the birds and the bugs and stuff like that. So if it's good for tree health, then I will do it. But do I really need to do it? Well, locust trees are really unusual in that they are legumes, like peas and beans. They actually, um, their roots attract nitrogen. They would feed themselves with uh, nitrogen from the air and so don't need a lot of human intervention. Um, yes, huh. you, yes, you can prune them back. Um, 
Locusts are very unusual trees. Uh, we have a lot of black locust here in Pennsylvania. And the reason they're unusual is they are leguminous, like peas and beans. They have the ability to suck plant-feeding nitrogen out of the air and feed themselves. It's very cool. They also have another great um, tendency in that they will regrow when cut back to a stump, which you found out, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Years and years ago in, um, in the middle to late 80s, I worked with Bob Rodale on a book about world famine. And in many areas, the famine was not caused by lack of food. It was caused by lack of firewood. There are so many ways that firewood is used in the third world. For instance, if you're living in a big hut, maybe a communal one, you always want to have a smoldering fire going because it not only keeps mm -hmm. bugs out, but it kills the bugs in the quote-unquote ceiling and does a tremendous huh. amount of good. It is also prevalent in religious rituals and storytelling. And perhaps the most important part is that it gives the family a place to gather around. At the time we wrote the book in the 80s, um, firewood was becoming really scarce. Women, of course, women doing all the work. Uh, women would have to travel further and further every day to get firewood to bring home. Mm -hmm. And then um, a couple of different organizations like the Peace Corps introduced black locust trees that once they got to be like two years old, you could cut them down. You could use the fresh greenery, the leaves and stuff as animal fodder mm -hmm. and anything big enough you could use in a fire, but it was 100% recyclable and useful. And then it would grow back and you wouldn't need fertilizer to help it grow back because it's taking it out of the air. These are magnificent, magnificent trees. And if that wasn't enough, they're also rot resistant. But we use them <laughs> to make raised bed frames and trellises and compost slats to make a nice composter with open spaces. Um, it's a remarkable, wow. it's a remarkable wood. So the answer is you will not harm the tree one bit um, by cutting it back, pruning it to shape and things like that. But please consider, I mean, even if all you do is compost the, um, the fresh young growth, the leaves, the, um, the tips of the branches, that will add so much nitrogen to your compost pile. There's really almost nothing um, that uh, locust wood can't do. Thank you so much. My pleasure, really. All right, as always, it is that time, cats and kittens, time for the question of the week, which we are calling... What's the deal with Epsom salts? Come on. A couple years ago, Carol in Chesapeake, Virginia, emailed about a sudden and severe snail problem she was having with her container-grown flowers. She wrote, I have tried beer, coffee grounds, Epsom salts, sluggo, Vaseline around the tops of the pots, mothballs, garlic spray, eggshells, and the, quote, balls from sweet gum trees but nothing has worked up to this point. Eh, must have been a wet year in Tidewater. Now, among my responses were, never use mothballs for anything. They are nasty little cancer bombs. I added that beer traps do work very well when they are used correctly. I added copper barriers to the useful list of slug and snail repelling products and mentioned that I thought I had heard every possible use for those mysterious Epsom salts. 
But murdering mollusks was a new one for me. We move on to Brad in Annapolis, who wrote looking for help with his, quote, deformed tomato plants. As he explained, they are growing on essentially flat soil, as opposed to what, moderately flat soil? Come on, guys. And have been fed an organic tomato food. At planting time, I mixed my native soil 50-50 with a humus and manure blend. I don't know what that is either. And added a tablespoon or so of Epsom salts to each plant. Now they look like they've been exposed to an herbicide with leaves curling up like a fern when it first gets growing. About the same time, Karen in Tryon, North Carolina wrote, I just got an email from a company that sells seeds and they recommend I add Epsom salts to my garden soil. I was wondering what your opinion is on this. <laughs> I've been working on the same thing for decades, Karen, and I still don't know what my opinion is. Epsom salts are always in the top 10 of audience questions I've come to expect when I do a public appearance. Quote, my mother sprinkled a tablespoon of Epsom salts around her roses several times a season. My grandfather added Epsom salts to the planting holes of his tomatoes every year and various and endless variations thereof. Plus, the most popular question at these events are Epsom salts organic. Now, the only answer I had for this seemingly innocent death trap of a question was to say technically no. Epsom salts aren't an organic amendment because they're a combination of two chemicals that are manufactured in a lab. But it also seems to be harmless, and it seems like half the world is using it in their gardens. So I'd call it a technical organic no, but it's not worth making an issue out of either. Then I would swear to make a mental note to research the subject when I got home. But there were always cartoons on TV when I got home, and as we all know, mental notes aren't worth the paper they're not written on. But just a few days ago, as the crows fly, I got an email from the National Garden Bureau, a nonprofit organization dedicated to getting more people to garden and whose members represent a good 90% of the nation's seed, live plant, and garden tool suppliers. The headline, Epsom salts in the garden, good or bad? So down the research rabbit hole, I went once again, chasing knowledge, rumor, old-timey wisdom, and the writings of many people with questionable memories. Always nice to find a good scandal in there as well, if you got one. Anyway, the author of the article, tomato expert Daniel S. Goodspeed, of the venerable J.W. Young Seed Company, J-U-N-G, explains much in a few words, quickly revealing that the revered substance whose legal name is magnesium sulfate does have actual value in the garden and that the benefits it conveys are correctly attributed to the two plants to whom it is most often linked, those roses and tomatoes but only when it's applied as a dilute liquid drench and never in the form of the solid material that most pass-along stories cite. In fact, a couple of tablespoons of actual undiluted Epsom salts can harm plants. In a nutshell, the author explains that Epsom salts are 10% magnesium, a vital plant micronutrient that when applied in liquid form as a diluted soil drench, helps plants better absorb a host of vital nutrients and improves the color of both fruit and foliage. Rosarians, we are told, will give their plants a drench a month before showtime so as to help make their flowers look the best. 
two tablespoons thoroughly dissolved in a gallon of water is the right dose. But applying Epsom salts as a solid or in higher liquid concentrations can block the plant's absorption of calcium, which can lead to cracking and blossom end rot on tomatoes. It can also lower the pH of your soil, sometimes precipitously. We move on. A curious website named Apartment Therapy, eh, I don't know, answered my big question. How and when did Epsom salts come into our collective lives? In the British town of Epsom, of course, can't make this stuff up, kids, located in the Surrey Hills region south of London, it was here in 1618 that a cow herder found a well whose water was so bitter tasting that his thirsty cows refused to drink from it. From there, we were off and running, literally, as the naturally occurring magnesium sulfate turns out to be a potent laxative. Then it was also found to have soothing and healing powers when added to bath water. Soon, Epsom was a spa town where people flocked to take the waters, one way or another. But alas, that bitter well soon ran dry, and blocked-up Brits had to turn to the manufactured version we know today. Well, that sure was some important advice that many of you will choose to disbelieve in favor of the tremendous tomato tales told by your great-granddad. Isn't that right? Well, whether you want to or not, you still have the option of reading this sure-to-cause-contention article over at your leisure or your leisure, because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be. Sing it out loud, kids. You bet your garden dot O-R-G. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. That might be a record. Yikes, my producer is threatening to replace my Gatorade with Epsom salts if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. And always, please include your location. It surprises us about three quarters of the time. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of all the shows, hey! And links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all up at that website, cats and kittens, you bet your garden, dot O-R-G. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was foolishly seated in the very back of a classroom by an elderly nun, where armed only with a number two pencil, he was able to escape by digging his way out through the back wall. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. And our engineer is somewhat cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. And send us some pictures of your garden. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer, not Jake Marks. 
Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our usual gang of idiots generally includes Eric Warner, Zach the Tack, the Jake who is not Boyer, and whoever else is hanging around today. Our beloved CEO, Grand Poobah, evader of all questions and responsibilities, and winner of the coveted Mr. Always Late for a Meeting Award 12 years running is, of course, the one and only Tim Havadona, You'll Feel Better, Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm busier than a duck sorting through my garlic harvest and getting ready to install 100 saffron crocus bulbs that should arrive any day now. So just look for the man with the orange hands, and I'll see you again next week. You've been listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. Bluegrass music